a special edition of our show, Herstory. On the Rocks! With Katie. And Allie. Typically, it'd just be Allie and I hanging out, just the two of us, with a couple of cocktails, talking about famous women in history. But sometimes we like to talk to people who are writing about history. We have a very special guest here with us today, Christine Gallagher Carney. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm super excited to be here this afternoon. We're so happy to have you. Christine is a Midwestern writer whose work has been featured in many magazines and journals. She's a former food columnist for the Irish American, but the meat and potatoes of this conversation is going to be about her debut novel, What We Leave Behind. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. Um, So I grew up in Minnesota and I now live in Chicago and have been here for about almost 20 years now. So purely Midwest and I love the Midwest. I love um, living here and being from here. Um, So the book itself is based on a story by um, my maternal grandmother. So it's inspired by her life. She was a war bride and a polio survivor um, in the 80s. Um, We were just talking about the 80s and being a millennial and born in the 80s. I got to meet her for the first time, which is really exciting. Uh, she she gave my mom up for adoption. So we got in touch with her and we're, we were able to have a relationship with her in the end. And we discovered her really incredible story, which is showcased in the book. Um, and I fictionalized it there, which we're going to get into. Perfect. Awesome. That is so interesting. Yeah. That was actually, that knocks out a couple of my questions. I was so <laughs> curious about <laughs> your relationship with her. But before we get into that, we have to get into the cocktail we made for your book. So this is obviously called What We Leave Behind. It is an ounce and a half of bourbon, an ounce and a half of lemonade, a splash of maraschino cherry juice, and you top the whole thing off with a nice German pilsner. (laughs) So cheers. (laughs) It's beautiful. Mm -hmm. It's very pretty. It's a beautiful red color. Mm. And it tastes delicious. It's like an old-fashioned. Yeah, Yeah. it is. Very nice. So before we get too deep into your book, I'd like to set the scene for our listeners. So your book focuses on a young woman named Ursula, who's a wartime bride who finds herself in Minnesota after coming from Berlin during World War II. Can you tell us a little bit about this time period that the book is set in and what life is like for women and especially immigrant women during this time? So this was really part of the the historical research, right, for historical fiction. Um, I had not set out to write a historical book when I started writing. Um, It happened because I wanted to explore Ursula's story more. And because all of this takes place in the 1940s and 1950s from this period of the book, I got to dive into exactly what your question is about, is what life would have been like for her during this time. Um, I was very fortunate to have her. She was a writer, so she wrote her own journals and I have those. So I got to read her personal accounts of moving here and her life in Germany. Um, the, those kind of, I read those in the first for the first time in high school and that was what really got me hooked. And I thought, oh my goodness, I have to learn more about what, what her life would have been like. Um, in Germany after the war, it was not great. I mean, the it was bombed out. People were living in cellars. There was, you know, very lot, just a huge lack of food. Uh, the allies had come in and obviously the Soviets were there too. And it was just a really huge mess, which they were, you know, multiple powers were trying to sort out after the war. So being a woman in that time, um, she writes about having seen the Americans coming in as sort of like, this is my chance to leave kind of. So when she met um, Roger in the book, 
she decides, okay, this is, this is what I'm going to try to do. They, they fell in love. And then she, she is promised, I'm going to bring you back to America. A lot of women were promised that. And then those promises didn't come through and they were literally left behind. So Ursula leaves other things behind, which is her family and her life there to come to a brand new country and barely speaks English, knows no one, and is on this promise that this life is going to work out. And obviously you get to find out through the book how that goes for her. Um, so I just tried to imagine come um, just being in a new place. And I've traveled and I don't know about the two of you, but being in being in a place where you don't speak the language really well and trying to orient yourself is just it's it's hard. Right. So putting herself in my shoes as many and in, as, in as many instances as possible was a re really helpful in that. Um, I also relied on a lot on memoirs of that time period. I read articles from the Minneapolis Star just about women and what they were doing. They had a program for war brides to take citizenship classes. Uh, so Ursula takes those in the book. Um, so that's just an interesting way that they were trying to inter integrate people into the life there. So she would have been in classes with women from Britain and across Europe um, and just learning like different history, just American history and different history here. And yeah, so uh, yeah, I could go on for a very yeah. long time about that piece, but um, that's a start. Yeah. Well, and it's so interesting too, that she is specifically from Germany. And like you say, in like the very beginning of the book, she's like kind of like thinking about, it, she goes, I'm the enemy. Like <laughs> I'm literally the person that this, like, I'm from the country that was the enemy in this war. So, I mean, when she comes to America, are people like openly hostile towards her? Is she really experiencing that? And did she do anything to try and like maybe mask that? Like I know my family was German and they tried to like change the spelling of their last name to <laughs> kind of mask that a little bit. So did she do anything like that? So she ended up taking in real life. I think she took her husband's name, I think, mm -hmm. which is pretty traditional. So that masked some of it. Um, and for her, she, she was just an interesting woman because she she tried to figure out ways to to fit in um, and connect with people. So for her, that was through her work, her art, which was crocheting and knitting. Um, and she was also really curious in in real life and in the book. So I think that helped her try to bridge just bridge cultures and understand what was going on, and also have a lot of empathy for the situation, but um, try to build that life that she was you know, creating in the U.S. Um, yeah, the, this, <laughs> I read a lot about like them hating wiener dogs and I have a wiener dog. <laughs> like they were, there was a lot of, they were like what you're talking about, a lot of anti-German sentiment. And she was very aware of that. Uh, I read about like the denazification process where there was like American videos that were shown to the Germans after the war about what democracy should be like. So those those things were really interesting to me. Plus, and I got to read Ursula's account of that experience when the Americans came into Berlin and she talked about, we knew it was the end because we listened to the allied broadcasts, which had we got caught listening to those, we would have been in, you know, they would have been in really big trouble for doing that. So she was already like, yeah, I know what's happening. This is not going, it's not going well for Germany and this is not going to end well for anyone. So um, it clearly doesn't, right? Like there was such like really bad. So for me, I just was curious about, you know, how do you take a how do you take a life that grew up in a place of war and create a new life in America? And I think throughout the book, it actually ends up haunting her quite a bit. So that's a challenge too. Um, and I don't know if she ever, by the end of the book, ever really kind of gets over that. 
but she does grow and change um, as she tries to become an, a, what she thinks is an American. Yeah. You mentioned um, that she goes through having polio and there's a lot of things that she is going through in her personal life. And Katie and I have a joint aunt who isn't necessarily a military bride, but she is like a military based bride, like mm-hmm. not a wartime bride, but okay. met yeah. while they were overseas. And still today we can see one of the things that she has to cope with is kind of like a little bit of loneliness. And it's been, you know, 30, 40 years. How did you reflect that in the book and how did Ursula deal with that? To, to me, the in part two, that's where she gets to come alive a little bit more. So she starts making friends in part one where she's getting connected with other war brides, which is a way for her to create community. But in, when she gets polio, she goes into the hospital and meets one of her best friends that she has for life. Um, and that is actually a reflection of what actually happened in real life. Um, that was one of her best friends that she carried with her through all of those years afterward. And I think for her to be able to meet someone and have a connection like that, where you get, it was almost like that intensive, like uh, just an everyday experience with someone where she's literally living and sharing a room with this person for nine months. Mm-hmm. And that bond that she creates in that space sustains her and enables her to keep going, which I love because for me, I have so many strong female friendships in my life and they sustain me in so many ways. And I don't think that's represented often enough in books. And then there's the mean girl stereotype or, or women can't get along and all this. And I, and that really aggravates me because that is not my experience. And I know it's not the experience of so many other women. So to be able to actually write that into this book was really exciting. And knowing it's based on a little bit of her real life is really neat too. Mm-hmm. When going through her story and kind of figuring out what you wanted to include and what you wanted to change, what was that decision-making process like? Yeah. <laughs> so there was a point where I had to decide to get to know the Ursula who I was meeting and meet her on the page. Mm. Uh, it was it was really tough to try to think of her constantly as my grandmother. And this comes up when <laughs> I got this question, what was the hardest thing to write in the sex scenes? Right. I I couldn't think about writing about my own grandmother in that scenario. So I had to really think of Ursula as a character to be able to get through those pieces. So once I started following her character arc on the page, that's when I was able to sort of let go of some of the things that were more of her real life to really expand into this bigger fictionalized story of Ursula on the page, if that makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. Do you think there's things that Ursula dealt with in her story as a woman in the United States that women are still dealing with today? Oh, gosh. Uh, So the biggest thing that I see is that Ursula took a chance on two different men and it didn't work out. And so there's this idea that somehow, uh, like in a heteronormative situation, that women are going to be able to move forward and grow their lives. And it sometimes happens, but a lot of times I think women are left stranded after Roger dies in the book, you know, she has to pick up the pieces and figure out how am I even going to have money to support myself because he was such a big provider. And she was a hard worker too. She wanted to work, but because of the restrictions for women and work at the time, and I mean, this is pre-women being able to have bank accounts in their name, right? So the idea that she's going to yoke herself to another man to try to find some way forward she probably knows it's a, a failing uh, recipe for success in her life, but what other, what other options are there for her? And they're just not a lot. So, yeah. 
I think that seems kind of universal because that to me doesn't seem to have gone away. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm so curious as to, you said, you said in the intro that you actually met your grandmother a little bit later on in life. She wasn't this person that you necessarily grew up with going to Easter dinner or whatever every year. So what was the meeting process like for you? And, you know, was it a shock to finally find her? So I was seven years old. Um, and this is what's interesting. I tried to write this that experience of meeting her in a, a memoir class. Mm-hmm. And I realized really quickly that this like, this was going to be three pages. You know, I, my memory from that time is very limited, but I have some very strong visual experiences of she ended up in the desert and outside of Arizona, kind of living in this hobbled together house with plywood walls. And she had taken... Um, catalogs with flowers and cut the flowers out very carefully and glued them to the wall to make wallpaper. And my mom told me, and I don't remember this, that she gave us the scissor to be able to cut out our own flowers and glue a flower to her wall. So even at at that point in her life, she was still in a place of a pretty big struggle. And she had, again, found another man to live with um, to try to get by. And that I think it just really, I mean, it stayed with me till to this day to see her in the impoverished state, but she was also so fierce. And the woman that I actually got to know, you know, over the next 10 years, she passed away in 1998. So we exchanged letters back and forth and had a relationship that way. She was a really great pen pal. Um, But yeah, that, that was, that as a child really has just always hung with me as a, just a, a really clear image of, wow, this woman has been through a lot in her life. And what kinds of conversations uh, are you hoping to start with this book when people sit down to read it? What are their takeaways? What are the things that you want people to realize both about the fictional character and about the women who are living in the United States who are, have gone through similar stories? So I hope people are, have a curiosity about their past and are able to dig in and look at it. Even if it's, you know, you don't have to go write a book about it, <laughs> but maybe you look a little deeper past your family tree. Uh, in a lot of ways, this started as a project in high school because they, I mean, I think many of us have to get sent off and they say, tr- explore your family tree if you can. And then you start asking around, well, who is this and what was going on here? And in high school, I knew my mom had been adopted and that's when she ended up pulling out the the original typewritten manuscripts and handed them to me. And I was old enough to read them because some some of the content in there is pretty. It's not it's not for you know younger than probably sixteen. It's tough to read. So for me, it's just really an opportunity to discover things about your past, even if they're hard. This, in a lot of ways, is not an easy story, right? Um, and oftentimes, um, in the research that I was doing, families will cover up family stories where there is somebody who has a disability. So that was really important to me to be able to render Ursula's life on the page in that way and give her the dignity that she was fighting for in real life. Mm -hmm. As you said, it's important for people to dive into their own histories and you've done that with your grandmother, but also because this is a historic historical fiction, you had to dive deep into the grander history of (laughs) life in America post-World War II, which is something that we kind of gloss over a lot. We talk a lot about the war, 
And then we kind of are like, and then the fifties were happening and everything was great. <laughs> so what were some surprising things that you found out about post-World War II America? And what were some of your sources? Like what, what did you go to for information? The best examples I think where I spent the most time were when I was reading the, the memoirs from polio um, survivors and people who are going through the, that stage. So she got polio not long after she moved here. So if you can imagine transitioning your entire life and then coming here, hearing about the epidemic and then realizing, okay, this is like a lot of kids are getting this illness, but I'm still afraid and pools were closed, beaches were closed, parents, you know, moms were very scared about letting their kids out to play, which is actually part of the book with a neighbor where she's really worried about her kids going into the pools. And so for her to be just land someplace and then already be faced with something else that's kind of scary was very weird to write during COVID because I was writing a lot of this during our pandemic (laughs) in our lifetime. Um, I did get a Sears catalog from the time because I was wondering about, (laughs) like to me, just as a big example of America and materialism and just capitalism as it's about to really take off and you can buy a washing machine and iron an electric razor. There were just so many wild things that you could could buy in the catalog. And I was thinking about Ursula, at, and I think this made the book because I, sometimes I, I cut stuff because I wanted to put so much stuff in, but that she's paging through this trying to find a nightgown. And then she's landing on the nightgown thinking, well, I can find a nightgown. And then the next page, you know, you can like buy plans for a house and later versions of this. So it, it's this, this idea of trying to go bigger and what just all the appliances and the electronics. And to me, it's the age where they're trying to find more leisure. But in the end, if you didn't have the resources monetarily, you weren't going to find that and have that and be able to experience those things. So yeah, to me, it's the pulling the veil away and being able to see America for what it really was, which it was the place where Yeah, if you had money, you might be able to have some of these things, but it wasn't accessible to everyone. So that, that was, I don't, I feel that's still the same today, honestly. Like that doesn't feel like that's really changed. Right. And I'm just curious, I forgot to ask this earlier. How old is she in the beginning of this story when she gets polio? Because I always associate it with children. Yeah, it's it's more unique that she, as an adult she got it, but that she obviously there was plenty of adults who got polio. The stories seem to focus more on children's experiences when I was doing the research. But she, so she was 22 when she came to the U.S., and then she was around 26 when she got polio. Mm. So if you can imagine being a young person and having this completely life changing um, illness, and then learning how to walk again, you know that that's that's going to change your life for the, for forever. And she lived with post polio symptoms, um, not in the book. And then obviously in real life too. Mm-hmm. Now was, was everybody in your family super excited about you writing this book or did you get any pushback from people? The most exciting thing about this experience that I couldn't have guessed ahead of time is that I got to deepen my relationship with my mother. Mm-hmm. So she got excited about the opportunity to get to know her mother more and the process of the research. And she's really curious and she likes to do research too. Um, She's the one who got us excited about reading as kids and always take us to the library. Um, So anytime I'd have something that I'd need looked up that I wasn't already looking up or I needed extra hands, I'd 
beyond the text, texting my mom, hey, mom, can you look this up? Um, like did the radio broadcast through the night in the 40s for one, but it's just really random things. How much did a piece of chicken cost at a, at a pound? Um, stuff that's relevant to the book, but also just really kind of um, random, but still important to making sure the historical accuracy is there and it feels authentic. Mm-hmm. So um, out, out of that, after she read the manuscript for the first time, she told me that she finally understood as an adoptee um, why Ursula gave her up for adoption. Mm-hmm. She is a common question for adoptees to ask, why was I given up? And she she knew practically in some ways why she was, but until she read the fictionalized version, she really didn't have an understanding of how difficult it would have been for Ursula to go to, to keep her and try to raise her in the circumstances that she was in. Mm-hmm. So that's a gift that I got to give my mom and did not expect that at all. And it's if I've done anything with this book, that's enough for me. Yeah, that's an incredible gift. I, I never even thought about so that. Touching. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> were there any things that came up in the research that you and your mom were kind of like, oh, wow, even though like, you know, your mom didn't grow up with her, was she like, oh, that's why I do that? Like, like any kind of like little <laughs> phrases or anything weird like that that may have even been passed through? <laughs> I don't know if there's phrases. I think maybe in temperament, there's <laughs> very, pers- you know, persistent, but very curious, and they will face a challenge head on. Mm-hmm. Um, they're, they, yeah, I think that's, that's definitely come through as, <laughs> as we work together on this. Sure. Well, this has been an absolute treat. We've loved talking to you and we hope our listeners are so excited to dive into this book. It came out in July, so it is rearing and ready to go. Um, can you tell everybody where they can find you, where they can find this book and where they can follow you online? Absolutely. So my website's christinegallagercarney.com. You can also follow me on Instagram and my handle is cgallagercarney. And I'd like to let to know, let everyone know who's in a book club that if you're interested in having me come on a Zoom and chat, I'm happy to do that. You can just message me through my website. And I'm just really excited for anyone supporting local bookstores. You can ask your local bookstore to order it, or you can order through bookshop.org. You can obviously get it through Amazon, but support local booksellers. They need, they need us and we need them. Yeah. Absolutely. Ah, oh, perfect. What a great recommendation too. I haven't even thought about book clubs yeah, reaching out. That's awesome. such a great recommendation. So thank you again. This was a blast and we can't wait to see you. what family secrets, secrets you uncover next. <laughs> <laughs> thank you both so much. It's been a pleasure. Of course. listening to her story on the rocks we are independently produced by 1986 entertainment and proudly recorded in baltimore maryland if there's a woman in history you would like us to cover you can email us at herstoryontherocks at gmail.com you can also message us on twitter or instagram we post all of our cocktail recipes on tuesdays so that you can go get all the supplies you need and drink along with us see you next week bye